Welcome to the 1254 Podcast, and your host is David. Today's episode is brought to you by New York City. The city is so nice, they named it twice. Welcome to the 1254 Podcast. This is your host, David. This is the last episode of 2021, and it is called Difficult Conversations. It is written in fictional prose. The plot, the ideas, the main characters, names of cities and streets and everything is a figment of my imagination. Nothing is real. But the main message in it is on how do we hold difficult conversations There will come a time when you will have to hold a difficult piece of conversation with somebody. So how do you prepare yourself to do just that? Before we go into it, happy, happy birthday to Sadie as you turn 18. May God continue to bless you. And may you have a full life ahead of you as you prepare to go to college. I'm standing with you as usual. And um, also happy birthday to a good friend of mine, Albert. May God also continue to bless you, as always. It is December. The days are short and the nights are longer. Birds are turning in for the night late in the afternoon and the temperatures are dropping. And in some cities, the streets are covered with uh, thick blankets of snow. The festive season is upon us, a time to make merry, a time to have fun, and to share in our happiness with our friends, families, and neighbors. Houses are dotted with Christmas decorations, with the neighbors trying to outdo each other with their elaborate displays of their ever-changing nativity scenes. In this city of rounded corners, USA, at the intersection of St. Elsewhere Street and Shady Acres Boulevard, is the office of Private Eye, George Martin. Long days on the beaten paths on the prairie, and an occasional unpaid job here and there, have rendered him a man of the bottom, who is short on his rent, with an overdue long tap at his watering hole. In his heydays, he was rumored to have dared a man to a duel just for looking at his shoes. It is a Saturday night when what would have been his busiest season just a few decades ago, a phone call here and there may have sent him to look for the usual suspects, thieves, pickpockets, and vagabonds who are terrorizing locals in bars and strip malls. A job to stake out a cheating boyfriend from one city motel room to another. Another phone call from Grandma Mercy Putin asking him for the third time for directions to her local supermarket that is located directly across the street from her apartment. To her, he was her local GPS and 411 service those days. It may be an occasional suggestion for wise to a crossword puzzle for Miss On and Off and On Again, Godfrey Blige. 
today. There was nothing on his calendar. His schedule was long drawn, and all his cases had eluded him. It was just him and his thoughts. He sat on his desk, having hung, having hung his badly worn Coleroy blazer with equally worn leather arm patches on the back of his door. This jacket formed part of his legendary ensemble that one would equate with the wild famous United Colors of Benetton. Thick plumes of smoke rose to the ceiling from his off-brand non-Cuban cigars. You see, he believed his friend Ramon had given him real Cuban cigars, forgetting that Ramon was from Bolivia and that he, Ramon, had never seen anything native to Cuba, let alone being from there. But such is his life. His phone rang, and after speaking into it for what seemed like an eternity, he put it on mute, sank his head between his hands, and thought he was his niece, Sugar. Now, Sugar had graduated summa cum laude from, his, from a, the local community college with a, with a degree in humanities and a minor in sociology. Her passion was in helping others. She had once said to him, when he went to pay her visit at school. On this day, she was full of inquiries. Society hadn't been kind to the like-minded people with petulant or wild opinions on how to live freely and frugally. Well, Sugar, he started the conversation with her after taking that pregnant pause. Could it be life imitating art? Oh, what are your thoughts on this? He asked of her. This was a difficult question for both. George knew that Sugar adored him for his kindness and humility. Never for once had he inquired of her thoughts on his frugality. Had the mouse come to rob the church this time? He wanted to himself. Of the 19 nieces and nephews he had, Sugar was his favorite. None of them had taken any keen interest in his detective work more than Sugar had. It was natural for the two of them to hold long conversations about police activity in their neighborhood or around the five streets and three intersections that formed the city of rounded corners. If statistics had their day in court, it had been six years since a crime had been reported there. For George today, he must have yet another difficult conversation with Sugar. At the onset of every piece of conversation that we have with others, there resides a wanton desire in our minds and hearts to deliver our thoughts and ideas to our peers in a formative and cognizant way that seeks to define us as ones who are thought-provoking and sensitive to the needs and desires of those to whom we convey our messages to. Many a time we are careful not to interject ideas into our conversations that may be frowned upon by the civility and the level of decorum that our society demands and expects of us. Difficult conversations are easily delivered and understood 
if they're broken down into simpler and smaller terms. At times, we've taken to the streets to voice our opinions, and those of whom our societies have deemed inept to partake in our everyday freedoms that we enjoy. One could say that we are tired of merging for that which ought to be ours from the time that we are born, just to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But we do, but how do we deliver news to others that we see it difficult or not bearing? It is not easy to critique the ideas and desires of others, but there are situations that call for us to do just that. According to Daisy Dowling of the Harvard Business Review, difficult conversations are filled with anxiety and distracts people from doing other things in their lives. She has suggested six ways that are important on how you can have difficult conversations. Number one is you have to have realistic goals. You have to be true to yourself that that piece of conversation that you're going to have with someone is true. Number two, you have to be upfront with the toughest of messages and deliver them first in a clear and concise manner. Number three, you have to take a stand and be firm with your decision-making process and the decision itself. Number four, do not blame others for the nature of the conversation that you're having. Give out the true meaning of the conversation. Be true to that person and to yourself. Number five, you have to paraphrase your message. Make sure you're understood. And last and not least, you have to be prepared for the reaction, especially the bad reaction and find ways to mitigate any risks that may come out of that conversation. Detective work came easily to George. The locals paid him in what they could afford, and many a times it involved IOU promissory notes and an occasional pecan pie, as in the case of her mismatched brown shoes and our like-minded friends and congregants of the local church headed by Bishop T.C. Jester III. His claim to fame had been the biggest case to date, one where he helped to birth the ring of juvenile delinquents who were charged with illegally feeding animals at the shelter with stolen food from the local patchwork. And for that, he was given the keys to the city in a known off-brand prepaid cell phone from which the locals hoped to use to call him to help him with their issues. Like an out-of-work factor term, he labored, wandering the streets of rounded corners, looking for crimes, and at times hoping that crimes wouldn't find him. A ferocious proponent of everything just and might in a gulf of labor that harbors cheap returns, telling his niece that she had to take time out to herself to relax, recharge, recalibrate, seem more natural than the act of blinking. You see, he too didn't believe in taking days off or relaxing. His mind was always fixated 
on solving the next case, akin to a hospital harboring the sick. The joy of seeing his niece succeed at her, local, at her social work couldn't contain itself within him. He had dreamt of walking her down the aisle one day. After the, the demise of her father, his oldest brother Simonis, from an accidental overdose a few years earlier. And with this, they set off to dinner at a different location. He steak, pastrami on rye with garlic and a hint of pepper large enough to clear your nostrils and had take a bowl of pasta. They both hated repetition, but with social work arising from the daily struggles of the inhabitants around the corners, Sugar had a full day ahead of herself the next day. And with crime so low at this time of the year, Private Eye George was headed to the Big Apple, to New York City. Thank you.